You are listening to the Startup Mindsets Podcast, a podcast dedicated to uncovering how mindsets are built from fascinating startup entrepreneurs, innovation leaders, and investors. This podcast will give you a blueprint to thrive in an innovation-driven and globally connected world. I'm your host, Dan Gonzalez, joined by Earl Valencia. Join us to learn about amazing people and their journeys to discover their own startup mindsets, and in the process, hopefully also discover yours. Here we go. What's up, guys? On this episode of Start Mindsets, we have Patrick Moran. He is a marketing guru, as some would call him. Welcome to Start Mindsets, Pat. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for uh, thanks for having me. I don't know if I'm necessarily a guru. Like. Yeah, no. I mean, so maybe <laughs> this is Earl here, and uh, just a bit of context. So, you know, Pat and I know each other for wow. I mean, almost more than ten years, Pat. Crazy, right? And. Uh, kind of a strong connection. So uh, there's only a few of these uh, you know, MBAs um, that are from the Philippines in, in your year. And then Pat and I developed a kind of close relationship during the time because, you know, he went to Silicon Valley and, uh, you know, he visited me in Stanford. And he was the only one, I think, that was so excited to see, you know, some of the classrooms that lectures of like the Stanford Technology Ventures program, right? So I said, wow, this guy really is an entrepreneurial guy, right? He, uh, he definitely is a fanboy of, you know, entrepreneurs and people who build great companies. And, you know, uh, at least personally, I followed, you know, his entire career, right? I mean, you know, starting out post-MBA with, you know, um, you know, went to like larger tech companies, sometimes in my mind, so, you know, Netflix. And then obviously, you know, most recently, you know, he was in Spotify uh, with a global role and, uh, you know, really happy to, uh, you know, keep in touch with, with, with Patrick here, who, again, Dan said this probably one of the gurus in the world, right, uh, with regards to growth marketing. So we're lucky to have you. Thanks so much, Pat, for uh, saying yes to the program. Yeah, no, thanks. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, I mean, I think I think I can probably just share uh, sort of my experiences over the last, I don't know, probably decade or so on marketing. Yeah. Um, so I think maybe there's some marketing wisdom, but I don't know if it's marketing yeah yeah of course of course right so maybe 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 pat right i mean just you know feel free to introduce yourself right like you know kind of where what what what's your background you know where you came from and then kind of what you've been up to in the past couple of years right uh you know i'm sure um everybody would love to learn more about you yeah no no so um yeah i've i've i've, I've, I've had this fascination with with just technology and, and uh, the way that it evolves uh, and the way that it um, sort of just has this impact on, on user behavior uh, in a global sort of fashion, right? So uh, just moving to the States probably 20 years ago from college, I think I, I, I just sort of fell in love. Right? But, uh, but yeah, I mean, insofar as background is concerned, um, so I've uh, been now part of a late stage uh, a technology company here in the Valley for several months. Prior to that, um, I was over at Spotify for close to three years uh, where, uh, you know, uh, as a team, we worked on uh, growing our active user base um, globally. And I really was fortunate to have been able to work with um, not just really great people here in the States, but really great and smart people around the world. Um, and you know that, that was that was a lot of fun for me because you get to see you know different perspectives and different experiences uh, uh, from people on things that you all mutually love, which was music. 
right? So whether it was uh, working with the team in Brazil and talking about, you know, their cultural uh, sort of um, affinity, like, uh, cultural affinities to varying types of music, whether it's Brazilian or Western. Um, same with Japan, same with Southeast Asia uh, and Western Europe, right? So, so I had a lot of fun there. Um, and yeah, prior to that, you know, I had um, been in, in various forms of, of performance marketing, uh, primarily focused on the paid media aspect at the beginning, and then eventually uh, growing that to the life cycle aspect uh, of things to uh, sort of grow grow user value and the user base, right? So I was at Netflix for a few years. That was really interesting because I was there... Um, you know, I think it was eight months after Quickster. Uh, and so that was not necessarily the greatest time for Netflix. Uh, and I was there eight months before House of Cards, uh, which was, like, sure. yeah, which was probably the first, I mean, they, they had an original prior to that, right? but I think it was the first really big one that the company sort of really bet on. Um, and it sort of set the stage for, for a lot of things. So, so yeah, I mean, I certainly can't complain um, about, you know, the uh, experiences that um, I've been fortunate enough to have uh, with these companies who, um, you know, uh, been really great at, at, at sort of taking me in, cool. and allowing me to do stuff, right? So so that's, I guess, that's a little bit about my background. Yeah. So so uh, maybe a good question for, for me is, what, what made you get into marketing and you know, doing marketing for all those big names uh, that you mentioned, what have you just enjoyed? I mean, well, maybe better way to phrase it is what have you, uh, you know, really just fallen in love with through through like that decade of marketing? So the the sort of the initial infatuation with marketing actually happened back in college. Okay. Uh, so I went to college in, in, the, in the Philippines and, and back then, and this was, this was a long time ago, this was pre-technology, but Back then, the bigger companies uh, were companies like Unilever, Procter and Gamble, um, you know, Shell, uh, and um, you know there there were a few tracks, right? There were it was limited, but there were a few tracks. There was finance, there was um, operations, and the reason why I had sort of this affinity with marketing was because, like most Gen Xers, I was a media baby. I <laughs> just grew up with media, and I just had a fascination with media. Uh, how to consume it, um, how it interacts or how it reaches different people, how it influences people. Um, and so it started there. Uh, so, 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 and that has always been there. Um, so I was actually at Unilever for, and this is not in my LinkedIn, but <laughs> my first job was actually at Unilever as um, sort of a brand marketing assistant for Lipton ISD. Um, okay. <laughs> that was my. That was actually my first sort of foray in marketing. It was only, and it was. It's interesting because um, in business school they teach you a lot of those things related to that type of marketing. You know, so, you know, positioning. You know, um, basically, you know, the four Ps uh, and, and, and you know some of the more traditional art aspects of marketing. It was only when I got to eBay right after business school where I realized that nothing that I had learned either at Unilever or in business school really applied to the type of marketing I was going to get myself into, sure. uh, which was, which is pretty fascinating, but that's, that's kind of how I got into it. Gotcha. Um, I'm just wondering, man, uh, since, you know, there's been a lot of technological, I guess, developments over the past, 
uh, 10 years or so. How has marketing changed when you look back on your time at Netflix through Spotify in terms of uh, just strategy in general? And like, uh, you know, there's certainly like new technologies that come out, right? Like Instagram or like Twitter. And that also just happens to be social media marketing where, you know, maybe when you're in the, the trenches of doing your role with Netflix, these technologies brand new. Did you guys ever have like a strategy or, I mean, approach on how to use those platforms? So I guess I think, I think the thing with, with marketing um, is that the equations for optimization are, have never really changed, right? So on the paid side, it has always been uh, what is the ROI, right, relative to what you're spending. So is the amount that I'm spending per user that I'm bringing in more or less than the value of that user uh, on the service, right? So that, that has not changed, and I don't think that's going to change. And on the, on the uh, sort of owned or lifecycle side, it has always been uh, how are we uh, increasing uh, usage or engagement on the product or on the service, right? Whether that's through purchase, whether it's through visits, whether it's through the usage of the product or whatever. So the, the equations actually haven't changed. Um, what's changed are, are the capabilities on driving that. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think you could probably break that down into two aspects. One is the technology and infrastructure to plug in data, right? So I think that's gotten a lot more sophisticated. Um, but I think the other thing that's gotten significantly more sophisticated um, is just uh, being able to use algorithms like machine learning okay. uh, to just scale, I mean, to scale predictably, right? So that's always been the challenge with growth marketing is you want to be predictable, but you also want to scale. And sometimes those counter each other. Uh, and so with technology um, or with the logic side of technology, it allows you to uh, scale predictably, uh, huh. you know, over the course of time. It's interesting. What I was curious about next was, so I, I overheard you in another podcast, the, the host had mentioned you had uh, helped raise um, Spotify's user base to 70 million from about 25 million and also like similar to Netflix, uh, you know, them growing their user base from the 20 millions to, you know, close to 100 million. Um, what, what about that? Uh, process for those two companies and maybe the in the other startups that you've been a part of have been uh i guess would you would you call that luck or would you call that that, that was really good marketing or like how, how do you explain that you know that that pop in those businesses um yeah so i guess there's there's um there's kind of this uh understanding um especially when you market software or software services that is fundamentally different from uh, CPG, hard goods, or um, you know, retail. And essentially, the, uh, the understanding or the, uh, the sort of the, I wouldn't say philosophy, because it's not a philosophy, it's actually something that is very concrete and proven, um, is that uh, you can't scale without product market fit. And ultimately, what that means is that your product has to be really good already, organically, um, for the marketing to work, right? And so I'll go back into the equation around uh, spending on a per unit more or less than the value of the user, 
the value of the user is essentially equal to product market fit, right? So the more a user stays on the service, so if you think about Netflix or, or, or Spotify when you subscribe to it, the longer you stay, the more valuable you are to that service. The more valuable you are to that service, the more we can actually spend on bringing other people to, to come into that service, right? And so um, I guess in, in, in what we talked about in the other sort of podcasts was that um, I was part of really great marketing teams that helped think about uh, how we can drive scale on the back of a really amazing product and service. Um, and that's on the acquisition side and the same goes on the engagement side, right? So something already has to exist. The, the strength of the product has to exist um, before, before you can actually see it. So, I mean, I guess, Pat, you know, I just, my, 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 my question for you is, you know, it seems that you have uh, this, this perfect experience of technology and marketing. Um, where does this curiosity or gravitation towards these industries, where did that happen, I guess, in your life? I mean, did you have experience when you were young, exposed to this, or, you know, part of, I guess, where you grew up? Where did this passion come from, right? Because, uh, you know, you've been consistent, and I see that these kind of convergence of the two is something that really excites you. Um, yeah, I think, I think uh, one, as a consumer, I think it, it just, just to be a part of something that you know you yourself love has always made things a lot easier for me to work and love working for those companies, right? So, so um, I think that's the first thing. But the second thing I think that's, that's been really uh, fascinating to me over the course of time uh, is just this innate curiosity to understand how other people in other parts of the world are consuming the technology that you're working on, right? And so again, I'll go back to my initial example with Spotify, but when you're talking about something that you love and are passionate about, which in my case is music, um, and then you're talking about it from the lens of your personal experiences and having those exchanges with people with other experiences, the innate um, sort of level of, um, I wouldn't say curiosity, but uh, wanting to be a part of that thing um, becomes really sort of, uh, it, it just, it, it becomes sort of a motivating factor, right? And so for, for, for the company that I'm in right now, um, you know, I think I think there's a fair amount of, of people who know about it, but um, you know, growing it and scaling it so that even more people uh, can start to use it, um, and then just understanding how they're using it, how they're consuming it, things that nature. I mean, that's that's what's that's what's been fascinating to me, and and I think the analogy to that, quite candidly. Um, which is a little bit weird, and I'm going to have a little bit of a difficult time trying to map it out, was growing yeah. up as a kid, I was a really big football soccer fan. Mm. I loved watching the World Cup because to me, that was the window to seeing how other people are consuming what you love from their relative sort of experiences, right? And so I got to see, okay, well, how do, you know, people in Mexico love 
football or Argentina love football, et cetera, et cetera. And so I think that just sort of translated into uh, what I'm doing today in some sort of bastardized manner. For sure, man. Um, I think what I wanted to jump into next was, you know, how has the pandemic affected your views on or strategies in general in, in regards to marketing? I mean, maybe there's less dollars to spend or, you know, people don't want to buy be, be consumers as much as they have traditionally been. Um, just what's your thought on the, the COVID-19 um, in the marketing uh, world and how it's affected, uh, I guess, the, the business that you're at or what have you seen from... Uh, uh, so I can't, I can't sort of really speak to the business that I'm at, but I can certainly speak to the conversations that I've been having with a lot of other people uh, in other sort of tech companies um, who are either in product or in marketing. And um, I don't think it's, it's a secret um, that all the forecasts and all the uh, sort of trends uh, that you were optimizing for or that you sort of understood coming into Q2 have also have all been sort of thrown out the window. And over the last, you know, several, over the first two months of, of lockdown between April and, and May, um, it's been sort of this exercise in trying to redefine what new trends or what new normal looks like. So I think, you know, there are certain companies that are, um, you know, not that, that are on the negative side of this. Uh, and there are certain companies that are on the positive side of this, but I think in any situation, um, all companies have had to really act quite nimbly uh, to be able to react to the new normal. Um, and so, right, I mean, I, I would assume a lot of uh, these companies are reforecasting practically on a weekly, if not on a monthly basis, as opposed to a quarterly or annual basis because of all of this. Sure. No, yeah, I think uh, it's quite unfortunate. Yeah, I mean, it just forces uh, the strategy to be a little bit more nimble, I guess. You, you've worked in a, a bunch of tech companies that are really B2C. Do you think that there is a big discrepancy between uh, direct-to-consumer versus business-to-business -business SaaS marketing? And um, maybe what's your take on, uh, or how did you approach back when you were at Netflix or Spotify or uh, Yik Yak, the, uh, the marketing efforts? I mean, were they, would you say that your experiences there like all had the same kind of strategies, you know, Netflix being a big, the biggest uh, video content and then Spotify basically the biggest audio content. <laughs> um, do you think that you took the same approach in growing those with the marketing um, strategies or do they all vary since, you know, it's like a different product? Um, just what's, what's your thought on comparing those? So, I mean, there are certainly a lot of similarities when it comes down to some of the higher level metrics that you're looking at, right? So whether it's um, subscriber engagement, subscriber growth, and things of that nature, I think at a high level, they're similar. But that's not, not necessarily dissimilar from other subscription services, right? But I think, uh, I think if there is one thing that I learned being at Spotify and really thinking about the things that we did at Netflix, is that there's, there's way more differences when you start to get into the weeds than there are similarities. Because they are, you know, one, there's a cultural difference. Right, so Spotify has two major offices between Stockholm and New York. Uh, Netflix has two major offices in Los Gatos and Beverly Hills, but all of technology at that time, at least when I was there, lived in Los Gatos. 
and all of um, content with variables, right? So there's cultural nuances, there's stage nuances, right? So when I was at Netflix, they had been public for over 10 years. The company was more than 10 or 15 years old. So the leadership team was very tenured and the leadership team had gone through many bouts with Blockbuster by that time. Um, whereas with Spotify, uh, they had gone through many bouts with the labels, but I think it was just a, a little bit of a different sort of dynamic. So, you know, there's different stage, different culture, different types of people. Um, the technology has evolved. Uh, and so there's so many different things that, that, that have changed. Um, and so I would say that, yes, while on the surface, there were a lot of similarities with my experiences, um, I think I could probably point to more differences in my experiences than there were. Uh, okay. Than there were the same. Yeah, just, just thinking about that, I guess, what was your mindset, right? Like uh, when, when you're looking at the competitor, competitive landscape, is it sort of, do we use marketing to just drive, keep driving sales or... Well, I mean, has there been a different, um, I guess, just uh, things that you do differently because um, you, you see your competitors doing something and then you want to change the, uh, the stuff that you guys are doing as well? Or is it just keep, keep, the, keep the blockers on and keep doing what you're doing? How do you see competitors changing the uh, market? Well, yeah, I think, I think there's a couple of sort of components to that. But um, I think, so Spotify had faced a lot of competition uh, in different phases. They, had, they faced smaller competition at the beginning, and then eventually, uh, by the time I left, uh, they were facing competition with Apple Music and YouTube Music. Netflix, by the time I left, was kind of becoming uh, a little bit closer to par with HBO. Um, prior to that, they had Stream Picks and Xfinity and all these other sort of forms of competition. Um, and the common sort of denominator in both situations was just this utter uh, and absolute focus on the user. Um, so it's like, yes, we're aware that they exist. We're aware that their feature sets are this, that, and the other thing. But the, uh, the absolute focus on user behavior uh, was there. Not only that, the, you, the, the getting competitive information is expensive. Okay. Getting your own user information is not expensive because you're living with your user behavior and your user data on a daily basis, right? And so optimizing and iterating against what you see your users are doing or what your users are liking um, has always been sort of the advantage, I guess, that I've seen successful companies sort of optimize against. The marketing and taking aspects of those behaviors um, basically comes next, I think. And there is always going to be this some distinction between brand marketing and performance marketing, where brand marketing is a lot more qualitative and you're trying to sort of attract a little bit more of a larger, or at least drive a little bit more of a stronger narrative. Um, I think that that only comes after. Um, and so an example of that would be, you know, Spotify's end of year campaign. Right? That's a combination of not just brand marketing, but a combination of product experience as well. Um, but I think that's that insofar as, you know, the dynamic or market dynamics of how companies, um, or at least how I've seen successful companies do it, uh, it's just this absolute focus on the user.
Great. So I guess, uh, Pat, I mean, uh, you know, since the time that I, I knew you and obviously the audience learning about your career, I mean, you're, you're just a guy that kind of goes in there and kind of grows companies, right? Um, you know, through obviously marketing and, and data. Um, I mean, if you had to verbalize, you know, your, your own startup mindset, what, what would that be? Wow. Uh, so, so I guess I, I moved to New York right after college. Um, and that was obviously just a, a big sort of cultural shock to me, right? Because yeah, I grew up in the Philippines, grew up in Manila, and suddenly you're in this new city with a new environment. And even if you speak the same language, you're just so fundamentally different from everybody else. Mm. Right? And so I think, I, think um, I don't know, I guess, I guess insofar as sort of a mindset is concerned, I think there are a few things that I've, I've continued to hone over the last 20 years, right? I think yeah. one is just this level of motivation um, to just keep going, right? So, um, you know, there's this story about, I'm going to tell the story really quickly and decipher just from the founders was that original story, but there's a story about two frogs that got stuck in a bucket and the bucket had milk in it. And, um, you know, and obviously both frogs were trying to kick out of the, out of the bucket. Uh, and one frog just start, just quit and, and the frog eventually drowned. While the other frog just kept kicking until the milk hardened and was able to sort of leave that bucket, right? Mm-hmm. And that mindset of just, just you never know when, when your break is going to hit, so just keep hitting it, right? So I think that's one. Second is things change exponentially faster now than they have ever been. Yeah. And so uh, being okay with change and at the same time just being okay with learning new things over and over again, uh, I think is, is an asset that I'm going to make sure my children have, right? Um, and then the third, I think, which was something that uh, I really didn't get in the Philippines was just diversity of thought. Right, and in the Philippines, when I grew up there, was was sort of very homogenous, um, and I think it was moving to New York and and um, you know going to business school and you know learning from other people. We start to realize and really try to get to understand where people are coming from relative to experiences that they've had that you had never experienced yourself. Right, so that's my mindset. I think, or I think that's what I've seen sort of work. Uh, but yeah. Yes, I mean, you know, my follow question there, and you know, we've had kind of a numerous guests in in this uh, in this podcast. Is a lot of them kind of point out the time either in their childhood observation when they were young that actually was the inspiration of some of these, right? So you mentioned kind of you know never quit attitude and kind of discomfort with exponential change. Where did that come from, right? It, I mean. My dad played football for the national team, and so I was exposed to that as a young kid. Oh, nice. Yeah, and so I was exposed to that as a young kid. And so I had been playing football ever since, and you know, seeing him go through managing a family, managing a business, playing football. I mean, it's, it's one of those things where you're like, okay, well, there's this is drive, right? So I think, I think for me, at least being an athlete, or at least growing up an athlete, uh, you learn a lot of these disciplines. You learn, one, the discipline of just doing things over and over and over again um, to get better. Uh, two, you learn to get over losses. You learn to get over injury. Um, I broke my ankle in two places. I had an operation in my hip. 
Um, you know, and there's, there's so many, uh, you know, there's so many instances where, you know, you just have to get over it. Right. Um, and, and um, yeah. And I think, I think, uh, you know, just playing on different fields and playing in different teams, playing in Manila and then in Bacol. And then we went, I played for like this sort of national team and, and we played in Brunei. And so you learn how different styles work relative to the core of what so I think that probably placed the seed, at least in me, into sort of what I do or how I think about things. Great, great. No, no, no. Yeah, that's true. So I think yeah. that's the... So maybe, yeah, maybe, maybe we end with kind of two questions here, Pat. And thanks so much for kind of peering through, you know, many facets of your life. One is, uh, you know, we, have, we end this podcast with the 20-year-old self, right? It's like what resources that you would give your 20-year-old self today uh, for him to grow and develop the start mindset that you just mentioned and also what advice would you give you know the 20-year-old you know Pat Moran uh, to grow his own mindset that's yeah. unique to him I mean I think I think I think maybe you know one of the things or one of the books I really enjoyed was The Power of Habit oh, uh, yeah and, and the thing is and the reason why is because you know when you're young you're impatient Right, you want everything instantaneously, and and you're not necessarily thinking about the long term. Right, the long term is far from now. Um, but you know, it's like compound interest, right? I mean, this thing this thing takes time, but it builds. And so, a lot of the mindsets and a lot of sort of the motivations and the habits you build when you're young um, are going to have uh, sort of a significant amount of impact when you get older. And, and either you're going to continue to evolve them or you're going to have to completely change them. But one way or the other, you're going to have to face them, right? So, so I, think, I think that's, that's probably one. Um, and so far as advice to my 20-year-old self, yeah, I think I, think, I think I had to learn how to be patient. Um, for yeah. And I think it, it took me a long time um, to, to understand how to let things simmer, to let relationships evolve, to let sort of projects evolve, as opposed to trying to, you know, micromanage every situation. Um, and so I think I think that probably my, my personal advice to, to my younger son. Man, that's awesome. I think, you know, it was great learning about uh, your time through all these uh, big corporations and uh, maybe we'll call them during their... Uh, Teenage years, they're not quite fully grown, <laughs> <laughs> grown startups, right? So, so yeah, it's great to get an in, uh, input from uh, medium-sized startups. So, yeah, man, it's great having you, and uh, yeah, hope to keep in touch. And no, I mean, Pat, I think uh, we learned a lot from you, and thanks for being in the show. Thanks for having me. Just want to say thank you so much to the listeners of the Startup Mindsets podcast. This is your host, Dan. And yeah, if you guys would like to hear more, subscribe to us on Apple or Spotify or any of the services that um, you're listening, listening to us on. And uh, yeah, more to come from us. We just launched our website and we're going to be launching our Instagram pretty, pretty soon. Check out our website at startupmindsets.com and uh, follow us at the Startup Mindsets podcast on LinkedIn or Instagram. So yeah, thanks again.